You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. devotion to our Lord. He takes his garment, he jumps into the water. Now, the last time he was in water, he sank. So we don't really know how deep this water was because it says they were only a couple hundred cubits out. But he jumps in the water and he's got to get to Jesus. He didn't care about fishing. He didn't care about boating. He didn't care about all the fish that were been there. He didn't care if they had to row the boat in. He didn't care. He left those guys in a heartbeat. He forsook all others and came to Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. I love that about Peter. Peter's always been explosively responsive. Quick to fight, quick to run, and quick to jump in head first, not knowing the whole story. But Pastor Dave shares today how quickly he also rushes to be with his Lord, with your Lord. He loves Jesus that much, so much he's ready to walk away from anything to be with him. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 21 as he continues his message, Fishers of Men. So the lesson now is starting to heat up. Jesus was taking over. This act is very similar to the calling of Peter that Luke described in his gospel. So Jesus suggests an alternative to their fishing technique. Look at 6a. And he, Jesus, said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. I love this. Why didn't Peter pick up on this? Why didn't Peter pick up on this? Did Peter even begin to think, deja vu, didn't we do this before? Well, why didn't Peter? I don't know. But the Lord does things sometimes in which he has done before in our lives to see how we'll react, to see if we'll react by faith and do it. Here, Peter does. Peter, they throw the net onto the other side. It's really interesting. I love what Guzik says here. I have to have my Guzik quote. Quote, Jesus made a strange suggestion to his disciples. There was no logical reason why fishing in the morning light would be better than fishing at night. There was no reason why fishing on one side of the boat would be better than on the other side of the boat. It wasn't even directly a test of trust in Jesus because they did not know it was him until the fish were caught. This probably was a test of their ability to find the guidance of God in small and unexpected ways, such as a stranger calling out fishing instructions from the shore, unquote. I like that. I like that. So Jesus, not only the master teacher, he's also the master fisherman. He is the fisher of men. He is the, look at first B. So they cast. And now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. The catch was so great, they couldn't bring it in because there were so many fish in the net. There was a multitude of fish. What was their success measured by? (laughs) Their success was measured by the length of the boat. Go on the other side and cast the net. They went on one side of the boat to the other side of the boat. Like what Gusick said, there's no reason why there's fish over here and not over here if they're in the same water, right? 
Think about it. Think about it. I've been on party boats. I've been on party boats where someone reels in a nice fish and all of a sudden, everybody around him seems to get closer. Everybody around him seems to get closer. Like, that's where the fish are. You're out in the middle of the ocean. There's no land around here. And this guy catches a fish. And all of a sudden, everybody wants to be where you are because you caught the fish. That's the way the mind works. It wasn't, the, it wasn't one side or the other. It made no sense. But like Gusick said, the guidance of a stranger, they were following it and they got blessed by so many fish. You know, when we follow Jesus' orders, we're never far from success. When Jesus commands us to do something, we are never far from success. Remember what Jesus had told them in John 15? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul makes it even more clear. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We got to remember that. Remember, what's the lesson here? I think the lesson is clear here. These guys were fishing for the wrong thing. They were fishing for that which they were not supposed to be fishing for. Jesus had called them to be what? Fishers of men. Fishers of men. Yeah, well, maybe they weren't ready, but that's more the lesson. So the lesson starts to intensify now in verses 7 and 8. Let's read. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he removed it, plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Interesting. It seems like everybody else was tone deaf and oblivious to the situation except John. Oh, you remember John. He always reminds us he's the one that Jesus loved. John, the one. I could, you know, come on. You got a best buddy. You got a pal. You got a friend that you like to hang out with. Tell me you guys don't rib each other now and then. Can you just see John standing there in the boat looking over there and Peter's bewilderment? He goes, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. Knowing what Peter would do, he knows what Peter's going to do. He just wants to see if he can goad him into doing it. Peter, it's the Lord. I get, John got a kick out of that. John recognized it. There was no doubt in his mind. Remember, this is John, though. This is just like John. Remember when they got to the tomb? Peter stood outside. John looked in, believed, walked away. This is John. John put everything together, heard the voice, saw the fish. It's the Lord. I love that. But what I love more, I love my man Peter's reaction. I love Peter's reaction. I really do. He probably, it says he put his coat on. He probably was bare-chested, you know, from pulling in nets. This is hard work, like I said, but 
I love his devotion to our Lord. He takes his garment, he jumps into the water. Now, the last time he was in water, he sank. So we don't really know how deep this water was because it says they were only a couple hundred cubits out. But he jumps in the water and he's got to get to Jesus. He didn't care about fishing. He didn't care about boating. He didn't care about all the fish that were been there. He didn't care if they had to row the boat in. He didn't care. He left those guys in a heartbeat. He forsook all others and came to Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. I love that about Peter. I love that about Peter. Probably Peter was still smarting from the denial thing. He was probably still smarting from that time that he denied Jesus around that fire. If he beat everyone else to sure, maybe he could have some one-on-one with Jesus. Maybe he could get a chance to say, Lord, I'm really sorry. I don't know what, you know, maybe he could try to explain himself. Maybe he just wanted to see his friend personally. The last time he saw him, he was with all the other disciples. He needed some one-on-one with Jesus. And I love that. I love that about Peter, needing that one-on-one time with Jesus. And folks, If there's anything that you and I need more than anything else in the world, we need one-on-one with Jesus. We need some quality time with our Lord. We need some time to sit with him and let him just talk to us and and, and tell us about his love. We need to tell him that we love him and that we're so grateful for what he's done in our lives and how he continues to help us. Oh, how we need one-on-one time with Jesus. I love it. Now. There have been times when I've let a friend down. There's been times when I might have been mean to a friend or something like that, and I knew it, and my heart just broke when I realized what had happened, and I couldn't wait to see that person again so I could apologize to him. I couldn't wait to see that person again so I could make amends and and, and try to restore the relationship, restore the brotherhood that we've had. Maybe Peter's trying to do that. I love this about Peter. He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to spend time with Jesus. Man, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. So the others finally reached shore. Let's read 9 through 11. Then, as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land. Full of fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was still not broken. The disciples couldn't catch a thing that night. But when they got there, guess who had fish? (laughs) Jesus. They may have known where all the sweet spots were, but Jesus knew where the fish was. (laughs) Doesn't say how he got them, but we don't need to know. Nice little breakfast cooking on the fire. Nice little time. Fish for breakfast. You know, I got to say this. This reminds me of my beloved friend, Pastor Frank. He loved his fish for breakfast. He loved his fish for breakfast. And when we would travel and we would go to a Cracker Barrel, he would always get fish for breakfast. He loved his fish for breakfast. Reminds me of him. So Jesus had an open fire going. He had fish cooking. I bet it smelled great. And you know, these guys were hungry. They wanted to eat, man. They wanted to chow down. When we go off on our own trying to do service for the Lord, we fail. But when he is with us, he has exactly what we need. They had no fish. Yes, they caught fish right at the end, but he had already cooked it. He had it cooking and ready to go. It's interesting here. Now, one thing that really, does anything stand out about those two verses to you? You know what stands out to me? And this is the way my mind goes. 
Remember the net was so full they couldn't bring it on board? The net was so full they couldn't get in there. <laughs> but when they got the land, Peter runs down there, grabs it, and drags it up to the, to the fire. Wait a minute. Yo, Pete, where'd you get the muscles? Where'd you get the guns? Come on. One minute, nobody could bring the net. Now, all of a sudden, you got it. You're bringing it. Well, doesn't say where he got the strength, but, you know, you can do your own deduction. And what about 153? Why is there an exact number of fish? Now, folks, this has bugged me for the longest time, and I'm trying to reconcile it. There are no magical things here. There are no magical things here. You can put all the stuff in it, but the Bible doesn't say anything about it. So where the Bible is silent, guess what? We need to be silent as well. It was 153 fish. That's a lot of fish. 153 fish. What does Jesus do? He asked the disciples to dine with him. Let's read the rest of the chapter, or the rest of the verses. Now Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus meets the disciples on the beach that morning, and he had breakfast prepared for them. This entire scene reminded Peter of his calling. Remember in the huge fish catch that Jesus caused to happen that time way back three years ago. Maybe Peter was remembering the feeding of the 5,000 and the loaves. This gave Peter his clear-cut witness of faith when he said to Jesus, where can we go? You have the words of life. Did the fire remind him of that bitter night? Did the fire remind Peter of that bitter, horrible night when he denied Jesus three times? I don't know. But you know, throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has been inviting his disciples and us to come. Come and see, he said in 1 John 39. Come and see. Come and see. Come and drink. Chapter 7, verse 37. Come and drink. And now he's saying, come and eat. Come and eat. I love this gesture on Jesus' part. Feeding Peter the physical food he needed from a long night of hardship, of toil, trying to fish. Feeding him, getting him strong, because Jesus was going to take Peter aside. Jesus was going to take Peter aside and he was going to talk to him and Peter would get his one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. And we're going to study that next week. Peter would get a chance. But here, Peter's getting a chance to dry off, to get warm, to satisfy his hunger and enjoy some personal time. It must have brought them all back to reality of a time when they all sat around the campfire eating and listening to Jesus speak. Oh, what a glorious breakfast it must have been. It was a wonderful thing to be with the Lord in a time of trouble. Especially after you think you've failed him. After you think you've done wrong. Maybe after you've sinned. It's wonderful to know that the Lord will restore you. And the Lord will bring you back. And the Lord will be with you. And he will love on you. It's a wonderful feeling to be with near your Lord. What was the invitation about? What was Jesus inviting these men to do? He was inviting them back into fellowship. He was inviting them back into fellowship with him. They had broken that fellowship, and that fellowship was broken by Jesus' death.
This was important. They knew it was the Lord. How many times had they done this before? But his return to them now would continue the continuity in their lives. He would then be with them forever. And more importantly, they would be with him. And their fellowship would not be apart. They would be there. The personal contact was still there. You know, Scripture tells us that Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. In fact, Jesus said this to the church of Laodicea. And he's saying it to us today. In verse 20 of chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Yes, he's speaking to the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, but I think he's speaking to us today. I think he's talking to us today about this intimate, close fellowship that Jesus wants with you. See, with Jesus, it's an all or nothing thing. He wants you all. He doesn't want you partway. He doesn't want you halfway. He wants all of you. He loves you so much. He wants your life to be centered around him. He knows how empty and how disappointing everything else is when he's not the focal point. He doesn't want a casual relationship. He desires a total relationship. He wants more than occasional communion. He wants more than you to jump into his life and jump out of his life. He wants to be your life. He wants to be in constant communion. He's knocking at the door. He's talking to you, lukewarm sinner. He's talking to you. How long has it been since you've told him how much you love him? How long has it been since you've experienced the joy of sitting with him, listening to him, reading his word? How long has it been since he's, his words have warmed your heart? I want to eat supper with you, he says. I want to commune with you. And remember, we've said this before. In this culture, eating was a way of becoming one. It was a way of deep, deep fellowship. It's the most intimate kind of relationship. I'll become part of you. You will become part of me. I in you, you in me, us in the Father. Abide in me. He's knocking today at the lukewarmness of our hearts. And he's saying, come back. Come back to me. I still believe he's using this coronavirus to get the attention of those who are sitting on fences everywhere. Who are, who are sitting on fences and they're in that lukewarm position. A position that is so dangerous. Too much of Jesus to be at comfort in the world. and Too much of the world to be at comfort with Jesus. It's a dangerous position. Jesus wants to have dinner with you. He wants to sup with you. He's knocking at the door of your heart. Won't you let him in? Won't you let him in? It's interesting that in Acts 10.41, Peter is talking to the house of Cornelius, and he says, talking about Jesus, he says, not to all the, he says, talks about God raising him up and he showed himself openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Was Peter talking about this time? That's how much it played on Peter's heart. Was Peter talking about this time? Was Peter speaking about this? Jesus wanted to remind them of their calling. He wants to remind us today of our calling to be fishers of men. Jesus had a job for them to do. He's got a job for us to do, and we need to be ready. He wants us to be fishers of men. 
He told them to follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What Jesus meant is plain and obvious. By following him, they would become his disciples and in turn, they would make other disciples. That's what our purpose is. That's the single purpose of our lives is to make other disciples, to spread the word of God, to spread the love of God. And the idea behind fishing is to know the fish you're looking for so that you can attract the fish. To catch fish, you have to have the right equipment. You have to have the right habitat, the right knowledge of water as such. You have to have the right bait. Jesus is commissioning us to go to all nations and make disciples. But we need the equipment. We need the equipment to be as fishermen. The first thing we must do is we realize we can't go forth without his power. Jesus is going to tell the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them in Acts 1 verse 8. You know the one. And the Holy Spirit is the main piece of equipment that we need to be witnesses for Jesus. Not only do we have equipment, but we must know where the fish are to catch them. We must know something about them, the species and stuff like that. Well, man is lost. And man is in a lost condition. Man is in a depraved decision because of sin. We must recognize that, that we are all sinners falling short of the glory of God, that there is no one righteous, no, not one. And we must be able to come to theirs. But there's a problem. You can't go with them by reason. You can't reasonably argue with someone because the God of this age is blind at the eyes of the unbeliever. They can't see the light of the gospel, even when it's clearly before them. The Holy Spirit has to quicken their heart. But God does penetrate that darkness. And he penetrates us with the best bait, with the best net that can possibly be. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the net that we use. That's the bait that we use. That love that Jesus has for us. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God to salvation. Prayer is essential. Essential for us to catch fish. It is essential. We need to be in prayer constantly, waiting for God's guidance, waiting for him to show us where our next fishing expedition is. And if you know fishermen, you know that they persevere in stormy weather and in calm weather. Now, I've watched the deadliest catch. And those guys are out there in crazy seas, 20, 30, 40, 50 foot waves that they're fishing in. They persevere. The same true about catching souls. We must be ready in season and out of season. Whether the sun is shining or it's raining abound and there are trials happening, just like now with this coronavirus. Regardless of the weather, fishermen take to the sea and they work in teams. They take commands from their captain to lower the nets or lower the pots. Then they have to go back and pick them up and, and count them. If we want to be used by the Lord, we've got to work as a team. Jesus sent them out by two, the number of witness. We need to take commands from our captain, which is Jesus Christ. But fishing requires patience as well. And we need to be patient. When we're ministering for the Lord, we have to have patience. Not everyone will see it your way. Not everyone will come to Christ right away. But we're supposed to be the seed throwers. We throw the seed. We throw the net. We have to use the effective bait, as I said. Gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are perishing. The message of the cross is foolishness. But to us, it's the power of God. You are a sure 
The book of John covers Jesus' life and ministry here on earth, but the book begins long before Jesus was born in a manger. He existed with God the Father from the start. So many other religions have some figure they look to or commemorate, but none of those mere men accomplished what Jesus did. Jesus came as a man and died, but then he came back to life because he's God. No other man can claim that remarkable feat. Only God could do this, and therefore, the only true one to follow is Jesus. What might be holding you back today in believing all that God says he is and does? If you have some questions you'd like answered, we'd be happy to try and answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609 609- 884-5821. Keep looking to scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to A Sure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the messages tab when you visit assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you too. Find out how you can join us for worship at Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting assurehoperadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at assurehoperadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of John next time, so be sure to join us again on another edition of A Sure Hope.